Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as my guest, Marcus Watson. Marcus is the host of the Spiritual Life and Leadership podcast. This is the official podcast for Fuller Seminary's Church Leadership Institute, and he's also the author of Beyond Thingification, Helping Your Church Engage in God's Mission. He's been a pastor for nearly 20 years, and he's presently an interim at Westmoreland Community Presbyterian Church in rural Southern California. He lives in San Diego with his family. Now, this episode contains a really painful episode in Marcus's life where he went through a true dark night of the soul experience as a pastor. And we get into that and spend some time talking about what that was like and how he bounced back. And then we get into his book, Beyond Thingification, and talk about how to help local churches with mission. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hey, Marcus, it's so great to see you. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you have such an interesting background. Uh, you talk about uh, you were initially attracted to Hollywood. So mm -hmm. can you talk about key moments in your journey that uh, started with a Hollywood dream and uh, mm -hmm. now allow you to, you know, today to be, you know, feeling excited, satisfied as a pastor, podcaster, and, and as a coach? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted uh, to be a movie star. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was my dream, really, for as long as I could remember. I love movies. You know, I love good stories. And uh, and I enjoyed acting in high school. I was a, an actor. But uh, as I got older, like high school, I was like, ah, I want to be a director rather than mm -hmm. an actor. And uh, so I kind of pursued that. I lived in Western Pennsylvania at the time near Pittsburgh and went to Slippery Rock University, which is a real school, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, majored in communication and ended up getting an internship uh, in Hollywood um, as a production assistant, uh, which is sounds kind of impressive, but it's really just the bottom of the totem pole, right? You assist with a production. <laughs> we need some copy, uh, copies made, we need coffee, whatever. Um, uh, but, but it was, it was, a, it was a really good experience. Um, it was kind of fun. I got to work on a Muppets music video, you know, that was, that was cool. And, um, and, you know, some TV specials and stuff. Uh, but what I realized after about a year or two was that if I was going to succeed in Hollywood, it was going to have to be my number one priority in life. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I was uh, a follower of Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. and I had, um, uh, you know, I was involved in my church and, and I loved it. And, uh, you know, in, I was, I didn't been involved in campus crusade for Christ when I was in college. And so ministry really was, was important to me, even though I wasn't pursuing it. Uh, and I, anyway, just when I came to that realization that if I was going to succeed in Hollywood, that would have to be my number one priority. I, kind of realized, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, uh, 
this was, you know, back in the nineties, summer of 1996. I, that's, that was the summer I decided to quit Hollywood. And, and again, by quit Hollywood, meaning I hadn't climbed the, the ladder <laughs> very far, but I was, but I, but I stopped climbing, you know, or trying to climb. Uh, I decided I would do one of three things. I'd either go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, or I would get a master's degree in communication at a Christian university, or I would go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And those first two I could get into by the following January, or I could get into seminary that fall. And I thought, well, what the heck, let's give seminary a shot. And so I did, and I loved it. And it was I remember the first class I had was patristic theology with John Thompson, uh, you know, oh, wow. uh, theology of the early church fathers and, uh, you know, and, you know, started the class with prayer, uh, which of course it's seminary. Of course, they're going to open with prayer, but having come from a state university, it was like, whoa, we're, pr- oh, right. Of course I'm in seminary now. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, but it kind of, it stands out in my memory. Right. And then, and then just, he started talking about this church history stuff. And I was like, man, this is awesome, right? I get to learn this stuff. So it felt like I was in the right place. The other thing uh, that kind of confirmed that this was where I, I needed to be was, um, uh, I, I well, so I got a job in uh, the, the media center for the seminary, uh, but doing video editing, video and audio editing on a system that I had paid a lot of money, you know, to do a training in earlier before I decided to quit Hollywood and thought that 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 had been a waste. Now, all of a sudden, here I get to use those gifts that God had given me at Fuller Seminary. And, um, and so it, that was a confirmation that, yep, I'm in the right place. I still get to do what I love and learn, you know, what God is calling me to learn. Um, I, I wasn't convinced that I was going to become a pastor. I thought that perhaps I would go into some sort of a media ministry, you know. Um, And the only reason I started the ordination process was because a friend of mine, uh, kind of a mentor, he's about 10 years older than me, but also a student at Fuller at the time. And he said, here, here's the paperwork to start the process. You fill it out, I'll drop it off for you. And I thought to myself, well, I guess I should keep my options open. (laughs) And so I did. Uh, and it was, uh, that was a long process. You know, if you do it, you know, in a timely fashion, you can do it in two years in the Presbyterian denomination. And I, you know, squeezed it into four years. Um, but, uh, I kind of dragged my feet. Uh, it was, it was hard for me to see myself as a pastor. Mm -hmm. My dad, my dad's a pastor and I love my dad and have a good relationship with him, but that was his thing. You know, I, 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 I was still holding on to that image of myself as a, video movie tv guy or something like that right um and uh and so letting go of that i was i was still holding on to that and i i had to let go of it and so you know it took time but eventually actually you know the moment when i fully let go of the old dream Mm -hmm. uh, to embrace the new one uh, was at a Good Friday service, 2003. I was a youth pastor at Glenkirk Presbyterian Church and a uh, very contemplative kind of a Good Friday service. And we ended the service with a prayer by St. Augustine that started with the line, late have I loved you. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we prayed those, those words, I was like, oh gosh, Lord, <clears throat> yes, I've been late in loving you and in surrendering to you and saying yes to what I know you're calling me into, which is, uh, you know, full-time ministry as a pastor. And, um, 
And so that's when I decided, all right, I'm going to finish the ordination process. And I did. And then eventually ended up as an associate pastor in Union, Kentucky, uh, just south of Cincinnati. And so, so that was kind of my journey into, um, you know, becoming a pastor. Yeah. And you had a, uh, at least you had a, a ministry in a couple churches, and then you had a, a really significantly challenging moment. And you've talked about that as kind of a dark night of the soul experience. Mm-hmm. Can you, um, you know, unpack that as much as yeah, you feel comfortable and yeah, then kind of talk sure. about what you learned from that? Yeah. Um, so uh, after I had been an associate pastor in Union, Kentucky, I um, got a call to a church in San Diego. And uh, uh, I was a, a senior pastor, solo pastor at that church. Um, and it was a great experience for most of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, good ministry happening, uh, good people. Um, and then after about seven and a half years, um, I went on a sabbatical about two weeks into that sabbatical, our executive presbyter, who's the kind of oversees the regional San Diego presbytery, um, uh, came to me and he said, someone has accused you of having a problem with pornography. And I was like, Oh, um, now full disclosure. It's not like I've never looked at pornography in my life. Right. But I have, uh, accountability in place, right. To, because it's important, <laughs> you know, so uh, I've got accountability partners, uh, another pastor in our presbytery is one of those partners. And anyway, so um, I, I wasn't worried about it. it, you know, and so I said, well, what do you need to do? And he said, we need to do a, an analysis on your laptop, which was owned by the church. Uh, I said, okay, you know, I wanted to cooperate. And so uh, gave them my laptop, he said it would take a few days turned into a few weeks. And then a, a few weeks later, uh, said that this um, uh, that the investigation or that my laptop had to be handed off to the authorities um, because it's now a potential criminal investigation. And I was like, what? What wow. are you talking about? And um, I couldn't fathom, of course, because the accusation was pornography. Initially, I thought, you know, my mind went to child pornography, but I was like, I know I've never looked at child pornography. Um and I didn't know at first what exactly it was. It turns out that was the concern. Mm-hmm. And what I found out later was because, well, this analyst, you know, there were pictures of my kids goofing around in their underwear, like oh. all parents have, right? And he's like, well, I'm not, it's not my job to determine if this is child pornography. So I'm going to pass it on to what turned out to be the FBI. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And I didn't know that until several months later that it was the FBI that had it. But in the end, uh, they... um you know, basically determined, yeah, there's, there's no child pornography here. In the meantime, <laughs> in that in-between time, I was, I, I mean, that's where uh, the dark night of the soul really uh, happened. Um, I had no idea what was happening. You know, it's the, it was this fear of the unknown. Nobody yes. kept me informed. Part of the problem also was that, um, you know, we have a process in our denomination for investigations and that process wasn't being followed. And so I was being mm. left vulnerable. Um, but I had this moment um, that was really transformative for me. Um, uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time, I was on sabbatical. So pros and cons to the fact that it happened during a sabbatical, I didn't have to focus on doing ministry at the time while all this was going on. So that was good, but it was a I was hoping for a lighter, <laughs> more yeah. life-giving kind of experience, yeah, yeah. but it, it was, you know, it was the experience that God had for me at that time. So I was, uh, I spent a lot of time in silence and solitude and, uh, 
psalms of lament you know um lectio divina kind of just reading slowly and letting those those laments sort of soak into me and and really i mean i i gained an appreciation during that time for the psalms and especially mm -hmm. psalms of lament because they really do I mean, they're so helpful in expressing the things that sometimes we don't know how to express. And so when, you know, the psalmist says, you know, crush my enemies, it's like, yeah, that's how I feel right now. Right? Yeah, yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> and then when the psalmist says, you, you know, or something like, you know, but but I know that you're with me. Yes, right. That's what I need to hear. Anyway, so so I had spent um, this morning, just in some of the Psalms and quietness, and I was just sitting on my patio. And then uh, my mind started going into kind of all of the worst case scenarios of what, what might happen. And um, uh, I thought, man, I could lose my job, you know, and I, and I did eventually, actually. Um, and then I thought I could lose my ordination. Uh, I could lose my reputation. And that, that really stung, like to think mm -hmm. that they would all, all, you know, my fellow pastors in the presbytery would believe something about me that wasn't true. Then I would become kind of like this pariah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, I could lose my family if it looks like I'm guilty. And I don't mm -hmm. know that I would have, I don't know that they would have even believed it, but you know, your mind goes to these dark places. And then I thought, uh, I could, I thought, holy cow, I could become a registered sex offender if it looks yeah. like I'm guilty. Yeah. And everywhere I go, people will believe this thing about me that isn't true. And then, uh, and then I thought I could go to prison. And so I had this um, kind of image of myself uh, sitting in a prison cell, having lost my job, my ordination, my reputation, my family, uh, and my freedom. And, and just sort of feeling the, the darkness of that and feeling the fear uh, and anxiety of, of that possibility. And then, you know, I just, and just thinking, man, they are, they, whoever they are, are taking or could take all of this away from me. And then in that dark moment, it was like, God said to me, yes, Marcus, they might, they could, uh, but they can never take my love away from you, right? Wow. And I was like, oh, right. That's the one thing that no one can ever, ever take away. Um, and, you know, and <laughs> was that a new revelation? Yes and no, right? No, of course. I, I've believed in God's unconditional love, you know, all my life uh, <laughs> for the most part. And, uh, and, and I taught it and preached it, but I never really knew it. Mm -hmm. the way I knew it in that moment. And um, in some ways, uh, that was probably the most important turning point uh, in my life. There, it's like there was life before that, and there's life after that. And before that, everything was about, um, you know, proving myself and mm -hmm. demonstrating my self-worth and um, trying to look successful um, in Hollywood and then as a pastor, right? Um, and, uh, and after that, it just became clear. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that I'm God's beloved. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and I, I had to continue to sort of embrace that reality after that experience. Um, I, one of my, um, a good friend of mine, 
uh, also a pastor, he was so faithful to me uh, during this time. And he, he would go to bat for me in ways that I couldn't for myself, um, send emails, have meetings, make phone calls, right? And, um, and he would check in on me, you know, text me, how you doing today, take me out every now and then. And, uh, uh, you know, as I was driving home from having dinner with him one night, I was just kind of talking to God, I was like, why is he doing this? You know, I mean, he doesn't have to, this is a lot of extra time and energy for him to care for me in this way. And, um, uh, and then it became clear to me that I sort of had this inner feeling that I don't deserve to be cared for, you mm. know? Yes. And, um, and then, um, and so, so I, I live in San Diego. I'm not mm -hmm. a very good surfer, but I sometimes go to the beach and go surfing. And so I was sitting out on the, <laughs> on the water on my surfboard the next day. And I was thinking about that, that I, I have this inner sense that I don't deserve God's, God's love. Um, uh, you know, the way I would pray for forgiveness, probably like maybe a lot of us do, I don't know. Um, but I would say, Lord, please forgive me for such and such. And then I would say in humility, Lord, I don't deserve your love. Mm. And, and then I, and so I've been praying that for you know, since high school for 30 years. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have been telling myself for 30 years that I don't deserve God's love. Now, of course, I don't deserve God's love in the sense that I haven't earned it, right? Right, right, right. But I, but I am worthy of God's love um, because I'm a human being created in the image of God, right? I am a child of God. I'm, I'm God's beloved. And so I am worthy of God's love. And so I had to just repeat to myself, Lord, I deserve your love. Lord, I deserve your love. Again, not deserve in the sense of earned it, but deserve in the sense of I'm worthy of it. I had to use the word deserve to sort of undo this negative and false message that I'd been giving myself for 30 years. And, and then I, I realized, you know, I, it's not just that I, I think I don't deserve God's love. I, there is this part of me that feels like I don't deserve love in general. Mm. And so I just had to start saying, I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be loved uh, just by human beings, right? I don't deserve what's happening to me right now, these false accusations. Someone is not loving me well right now, whoever that is. And I found out later it was a staff person at our church. Um, but um, anyway, so that was really transformative for me and yeah. um, set me on a new course in a sense um, in terms of uh, what really matters uh, in life and in ministry. Now I'll, I'll summarize the, the rest of that part of my uh, dark night. Um, uh, at, by the end of the, my sabbatical, um, basically the FBI said, there's no child pornography here. So awesome. And I yeah. thought it was over, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I can move on now. Uh, however, because uh the, our official process hadn't been followed. It was kind of a secret investigation. There were, there were no investigative committees put in place. It was sort of an under the table thing. The person who made the accusation initially said, I don't like the outcome. Now I'll file formal allegations. Oh, and geez. so, so they filed formal allegations this time uh, accusing me of actually child pornography saying, well, since it went to the FBI, there must be something there, even though the FBI said there isn't anything there. So anyway, so that led then to a formal investigation, which in a sense, I'm grateful for, because now it's at least on the record, <laughs> right? That 
all right, this has been explored, this has been investigated. And it was found at the end of that investigation that there was no evidence to support the allegations. Uh, but the person again didn't like the outcome. And so then uh, she made the same allegations to our um, elders. And, uh, and, and then we had, so then we had a, a meeting of our, our session, our board of elders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we just kind of put it all out there. My, my friend, who's my accountability partner came and said, look, look I've got years worth of accountability reports. If you want to see them, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, we had a new executive presbyter by this time. And, uh, he said that, you know, as far as the Presbytery was concerned, this was a closed matter. Anyway, my friend and I recused ourselves for about half an hour, came back in, and our elders said to me, Marcus, um, we want you to know that you have our trust as our pastor. I was like, wow. Oh, I, I was not expecting that. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't. I, I don't. I didn't know what to expect, but but I but that was kind of a surprise. They said we're not going to. Someone had suggested maybe we need to ask for Marcus's resignation. They said we're not going to ask for your resignation. Uh, we are going to brace for uh, a potential lawsuit from this staff person. And, uh, but, but that meeting ended about as well as I could have hoped for. And so again, I thought maybe, maybe it's going to get better Uh, from here. There was one elder who, for whatever reason, decided to believe the accusations. And uh, she started calling people in the congregation saying that Pastor Marcus is into child pornography and at that point, I, we, the rest of me and the other elders didn't know this was happening until about two weeks later. But when we found out, it was like, oh, I think that's pretty much the end of my time here. <laughs> because once that rumor gets out there, right, uh, it's hard to, to put that toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak. Um, we, had a, uh, we had a congregational uh, gathering, not a formal meeting, as, you know, uh, but just to say, here's what's going on. And uh, and then we had a, a, meet, a formal annual congregational meeting the next week, um, which had been on the calendar for several months, but that's where someone made the motion to uh, dissolve the church's relationship with me and, mm-hmm. um, and that passed by two votes. So, um, and I think that some people voted to, to let me go um, more because they just weren't sure. I think uh, we don't know what's true, but let's play it safe and, maybe get a new pastor but that's right that's what this did it, it stirred up all kinds of doubts and questions but by that time I was kind of ready to go I wasn't it didn't like kill me and you know what's really amazing is the very next day I was on a uh, a plane to Little Rock Arkansas for a pastor's retreat that had been on my calendar for six months already and uh, it was like God knew uh, Marcus, you're going to need this pastor's retreat uh, the day after you get kicked out of your church. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so, and the irony is, I was not the only person at that retreat who had been voted out of their church that same day. Um, so there was some, you know, commiserating and praying for each other at this at this retreat. But anyway, that was uh, that was. Uh, I hope I never go through an experience like that again. But the strange thing is, I, I wouldn't undo it because it has. Um, enriched my faith and my life in a way that I don't think could have happened uh, any other way. I mean, God's creative; He can do whatever He wants. But um, this is <laughs> this is how it happened for me. You know, it just it uh, it really. I mean, it was a, an experience of transformation. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for sharing all that. And obviously, just as a fellow pastor. Uh, that just hurts my heart. I've, no, I've you know, met enough uh, pastors that um, 
Yeah, some yeah, real, that's because you really suffered some real abuse there from that church, and again, grateful that you've mm-hmm. been exonerated. And you can even you know say the words like child pornography, and it's like I mean that's just a, that's every person's. I mean, what a terrible yeah. accusation. So I'm so sorry about that. But yeah. well, one of the things I picked up from your story that I think can be really helpful mm-hmm. for everybody was was it was just so interesting that you that uh, you know the very fact that you had good theology. Uh, put a tape in your head that said, I don't deserve God's love. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's the interesting thing. So like, let, you know, like if we could just have erased the whole allegation piece, um, like uh-huh. how do you think you could have discovered, I'm guessing you've thought about this. How could you have had a different experience with seminary, with your own spiritual formation? So it wouldn't have taken a crisis to recognize that you're loved. Oh gosh. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. <laughs> that's a good Cause, question. Cause to me, that's the million dollar question. Cause I mean, you know, we serve so many people that are stuck that haven't had that experience. And obviously we don't want them accused of horrible things before they figure that right. out. Right. right. For sure. <laughs> well, and clearly not everyone goes through that experience yeah. and many people yeah. do um, discover uh, their belovedness without having to go through that. Yeah. I do think that to some extent, the dark night of the soul is part of the spiritual journey. Um, And it doesn't have to be as extreme as what I went through, um, but it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of, uh, uh, you know, a job. It could be um, uh, probably, (laughs) probably some experience of loss for me. It was, it was in the end, a a loss of a, of a job, loss of a ministry. um, And, uh, uh, and just a lot of, a lot of fear along the way. Um, you know, so, but, but you're right. We need to, we need to instill good theology because these dark nights are going to happen, right? Yes, nobody, yes. nobody, ex- n- nobody's exempt. Um, Even with good theology, it's going to happen, right? It's, so. That's right. It's going to happen. And so, and so I think what we need to, you know, I look back on my own life and I'm like, um, could anything have been done better? I don't know. You know, my parents loved me. Right. Uh, they instilled, I think, my uh, good theology. My dad's uh, a pastor. I, I mentioned earlier, right? And and he was not a, an overbearing kind of a pastor. They weren't like uh, exceedingly legalistic. They had boundaries, but they were there was flexibility. And so, and I never doubted that I was loved by my parents. Um, I think um, for you know the 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 harder part in growing up for me was more in school. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned to me before we started recording, I think you're an introvert. I'm an introvert too. And so I was kind of shy in high school and, um, you know, in middle school, uh, got bullied a little bit, you know, and so that's where maybe I felt like I needed to prove myself, uh, learn or start proving my, my self-worth. Um, but I, I think, I think we need to, you know, maybe we need to teach grace more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and less law. I don't know. You know, I mean, I the 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 I I'm I'm not rethinking my theology. I feel like I'm better understanding my theology in terms of grace and law. For instance, I think. Yeah. I think we we try to direct people towards here's how to act and live and be in some ways more as a matter of control. And, and even though we talk about grace, we don't um, let people live 
in grace. I, I feel like I'm 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 moving away from the question you asked me, but um, um, but but I think maybe if I had better understood God's grace uh, more than God's law, um, maybe I would have better understood my belovedness um, prior to this happening. But I th- you know the truth is I think I knew it enough that I was able to hold on to that. And I will say I I was reading, and this is the grace of God. I was reading some really wonderful books during that sabbatical, uh, Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, um, yes. Abba's yeah. Child by Brennan Manning, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, great uh, Shame and Grace yeah, by Lewis Meads. And so I was reading all of these at that time. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> for yes. having me put them on my reading list for my sabbatical already before this all, all happened. Um and so that that just helped me to frame what was happening, I think, in a in a way that was helpful, helpful to me. No, that's that's great. And again, that was a, I kind of asked a hard question, I think, because it just it just struck me. The thing that jumped out um, when you were talking is like because um, I do a lot of work. I listen really carefully to people's words. And it's like and you actually just self-identified this phrase that was good theology I don't deserve God's love. And it's even part of, of your prayer. And you meant it out of all humility to the Lord, not assuming anything, but then, but then you get like this little tape that's just playing in the back of your head that yeah, um, yeah. had exactly really the opposite of effect of even what the good theology was, because right. the good theology was, yeah, we don't deserve it, but guess right. what? You get abundance, but you, yeah. that wasn't a tape playing in your head. It yeah. was this, um, so I'm just, that, I thought that was really interesting. And I'm just thinking yeah. even for pastors that are listening, it's like, you know, what phrases do we give people yeah. that they get stuck in their head? Right. Um, and then, right. you know, to me, and you, you raised the contemplatives, uh, you talked about Brendan Manning and uh, mm-hmm. no, is that how you said Brendan Manning? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Henry Nowen and and, and Scazzera, right? Yeah. And um, you know, and their their stuff is so powerful, but it's uh, it, 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 they use the contemplative contemplative spirituality to kind of unpack the tapes in our heads yeah, and then yeah. to put good stuff in there. So that was just really yeah. good what you said. Yeah, you, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking even uh, the verse about you know all of our what's what is it our, our good deeds are like filthy rags or something yeah like yeah many I mean, times and, we say that right <laughs> the, the problem is and yes the bible says that but there's a context um you know and so we have to look at it in context and i don't think god ever gives any of these statements so that we would beat ourselves up right and i think yeah. that's what we do a lot of times is we beat ourselves up oh, i'm not good enough and oh there's something wrong with me and oh all my good deeds are filthy rags and so why even bother doing good deeds if they're just filthy rags right and then we um we we treat ourselves as though we are worms yeah and then well and then maybe we shouldn't be surprised that we also end up treating others as though they are worms as well right but the fact is God doesn't treat us like we're worms, right? God treats us and loves us like beloved human beings created in the image of God, bearing the divine image. Worms don't bear the divine image, right? <laughs> now, worms are also created by God and have an inherent kind of goodness as creatures created by God. But but that's not us, right? We are something incredibly uh, profoundly valuable um, and when we don't understand that about our own selves, then um, we teach others that they shouldn't believe that about their own selves as well. Um, and, you know, I probably did get that message that, hey, all your uh, righteous deeds are filthy rags. And so um, so you can keep doing good things, you know, and, but um, 
but they're worthless. That's a terrible message. <laughs> no, it really is. And so again, yeah. thank you. And uh, I mean, just to just shift conversation just a little bit to, uh, yeah. for be fair to our time is you have you have this yeah. book, um, yeah. Beyond Thingification, helping your church yeah. engage in God's mission. And, and it's in a sense, I see the connection in this yeah. because um, you know, like like you said, sometimes we 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 actually because obviously God calls us to make disciples, and then mm -hmm. as pastors, we end up putting a bunch of shoulds and coulds on people yeah. that allow them to, you know, they're, it's already, well, it's all filthy rags anyway. And now I got to add 10 more things on top of my incredibly busy life already. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, churches get stuck. And I know a lot of your work is around um, uh, trying to help churches to create uh, healthy discipleship mission practices. Yeah. So right. let's just start with the most obvious thing. What What is some um, thingification? What does that even, <laughs> yeah, what does yeah. that mean? And how did you come up with that? Yeah, yeah. So I actually got the word uh, from a book called Sharing Faith by Thomas Groom. And okay. it's about, mm. it's really a, a thick, you know, kind of his d dissertation, I think, about Christian education. Yeah, yeah. And, and how um, we have a tendency to thingify uh, students, people um, in our in our teaching and and really what in our discipleship because he's talking about Christian education, we thingify, we turn them into objects. Um, so good. In um, um, another book uh, by uh, Paulo Freire called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So it's kind of this: um, how do you teach people who are in situations of oppression? You know, mm -hmm. and and rather than just uh, pouring information into them. Uh, which is a thingifying kind of thing. He calls it the banking model of education. You just give them information. And if you give them enough in terms of uh, Christianity, in terms of follow, you know, faith, um, if you give them enough theology and enough uh, you know, Bible memorization and all, all that, then, well, then they should achieve the expected outcome of being good Christians, right? Um, that is a thingifying, objectifying way of doing discipleship. And we do the same thing when it comes to ministry to our communities. A lot of times we, we thingify or objectify the people that we want to serve and reach out to. Um, we, we, the church, have certain goods and services that they, the people in our neighborhood or city, uh, need. And so they should come to us to get these goods and services. Goods and services like the gospel, right? Sometimes we treat the gospel as though it's a product to be, um, uh, to be uh, sold. Sold. I don't mean sold exactly, but given. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, And uh, or good music, or good preaching, or children's programs, right? Or uh, whatever kinds of programs we might offer, we provide the goods and services to, to the um, rather passive recipients of our goods and services in our community. And so we, we thingify or we objectify. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what we do is, and we don't do it intentionally, right? I, again, I, yeah. I'm not trying to, because I, I didn't, I did, I did this and probably still do to some extent, but not intentionally. We, we want to love and serve the people in our churches and the people in our communities. Uh, but a lot of what we do is for the purpose of building our own selves up um, mm -hmm. and our own churches up, you know? Um, and of course, it's not like God wants churches to die. Uh, God wants, I think, wants churches to grow, uh, but I'm not even so convinced of that anymore, right? It's not that maybe God wants more churches rather than just bigger churches, you know? Um, God certainly wants people 
to know the gospel, to know that they are loved and accepted and, uh, and that there is a God who went to the greatest lengths possible to make reconciliation with God possible, right? The death and resurrection of, of his son. God wants everybody to know this and to be, to welcome people through this good news, uh, mm -hmm. to the God who made them. Um, but in, in doing that, in making that message known, we have this tendency, I think, to, to thingify people and to make it about how do I build up my own church? How do I build up my own reputation? How do I build up my own? So um, anyway, so that's thingifying. Does that yeah yeah i think yeah. i mean that's so good and you know instead of having um we, we create kind of objects instead of um of 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 um, a set of subjects right yeah, of um right. Of mission and, and, it, and it seems like yeah. um for, uh, that your part of your solution is you know taking busy people that are jesus lovers and not simply hey now you can run now we, we almost think of fire on people too, right? We like, mm -hmm. Hey, you can plug into this program that we have. Yep. It's going to reach people, which then just creates more things to do, but you have this idea of um, vocational connection groups. Right. Yeah. So, so, so the overarching idea is God is already at work, right? Yeah, God is yeah. already, God is the primary agent in the world. We don't, we are not the primary agents. We, you know, Christians and church leaders, um, God is already at work in the world. And our job is to discern through listening to God in prayer, through listening to the Holy Spirit, through listening to the scriptures, through listening to our neighbors and listening to each other to discern what is God doing? What is God already up to in the world? And so how do we discover what God is up to so that we can join God in what God is already doing? And so um, this idea of a vocational connection group, first of all, the word vocational reflects um, the idea that every vocation is is valuable. <clears throat> when I was growing up, you know, in in high school, there was the the vocation, the votech kids who went to oh, this other thing yeah. half half the day uh, to learn vocations like you know um, being mechanics or I don't know, you know, kind of more the craft. Uh, hands-on kind of vocation. Yeah, yeah, you're from the Midwest. I'm from Akron, Ohio. So I was just okay. right down the road from Pittsburgh. So yeah, you yeah. had the you had like uh, auto repair, carpentry, yeah, right. machine shop, all that kind of right. stuff, right? For the Votech guys. That's right. <laughs> and that's what I thought of when it came to vocations. And yeah, then I realized yeah. eventually, wait, wait, no, vocation is a sacred thing. It it refers to a calling, right? It's related to yeah. the word voice and vocal and um, right. Um, God calls us and every single human being has a calling. And so the people in our churches, uh, they are uh, living out their own sacred vocations and God is at work in the lives, you know, and in, in through the work of teachers and mechanics and doctors and garbage collectors, right? Bringing God's goodness into the world in all kinds, uh, you know, sometimes we limit God's goodness to just the spiritual things that we do, right? right? God's goodness is being poured out in the world in in, um, in so many more ways than we could possibly even imagine, right? And mm -hmm. so all of these kinds of work are good. And so the idea of a vocational connection group is start paying attention in your vocation to what God might be at work doing there, um, right? If you're a teacher, just listen, right? Listen with ears to hear uh, what God is doing in the lives of other teachers or other students or administrators, or just sort of get a sense. 
uh, if you're uh, a mechanic, you know, what is God doing uh, through the folks that you're serving? You know, just listen to people's stories. Um, if and and it doesn't even have to be. Um, and by yeah, vocation isn't just paid jobs too, right? Uh, you can have a vocation as a grandparent, right? And your calling as a grandparent is to love your children, and so pay attention to your kids' lives, you know, and what's happening in in their lives and your grandchildren, right? So so you bring uh, the vocational connection group is basically you bring six or seven or eight or twelve uh, people from the congregation together, and over the course of say a year. Um, you get together once a month and, um, and you spend some time in the scriptures. Um, and, and I like to encourage folks to stick to a single passage of scripture every time. And, um, and in my book, I, I offer some recommendations, but you can pick whatever you want, but just to listen to God through those, uh, through, through the, that passage, um, each time, maybe you read a different, uh, translation, you know, to see kind of what nuances come out in the various translations. But uh, you listen to God in the scriptures, and then you pray, you listen to God in prayer, and then you share stories of what mm-hmm. you heard, you know, in your places of vocation. Uh, what what did people say to you, or what did you overhear, or what did you sense? And then you share those stories with each other in this vocational connection group, um, and then you pray, right, uh, about that, and and then you start to get a sense over the course of that year or so. Okay, what is God? God's doing this here in the schools, and He's doing this here in this part of town, and He's doing this um, in these families. And is there a theme here? And how then, right? Then the question is, how do we? Uh, uh, how is God inviting us to get involved? And maybe He's not inviting us to get involved in every single way that has we've become aware of, but maybe in one or two, you know, and, um, uh, and then rather than, right, rather than saying, ah, the big church, you know, on the other side of town is doing this, and so we should do that, well, that may not be what God is calling you to do. Maybe God is calling them to do that, right, but that may not be what God is calling you to do. Maybe God is calling you to, um, you know, get involved in the parent-teacher association and figure out how you can best serve underserved kids in your schools. I, I don't know. Um, uh, maybe uh, you need a food pantry. Maybe you need, maybe there's a lot of uh, alcoholism. Maybe there's a lot of wealth, but a lot of alcoholism. And so you need to start a, or welcome an AA group or, or find some way of connecting with, with that need. You know, what is God already doing? And then and then join that. And then, and then just try it, right? Rather than at first, eventually, if, if, it, if you're like, okay, this is definitely what God's calling us to, then the whole church can, can commit to that. But at first, just say, well, let's try this. Let's see what happens uh, if we join God in this little thing here. Um, and you do it for, for a few months and, and see how it goes. And you continue to stay in touch with each other as a, as a group and say, okay, what is God doing? What is God saying? Uh, the idea is rather than us right? Treating uh, those in our communities as objects and, and deciding for them what they need and what God should do for them. <laughs> Let's figure out what do they actually need? What is actually happening in their lives? What hopes and dreams do they actually have? Um, what are their actual stories rather than the stories we think they might have, right? And what does God actually want to do? And then let's join God in that rather than coming up with our own thing. Yeah, I love what you just said. I was uh, uh, one of the pastors that I coach. We were just talking, and he said something like, um, 
you know, wow, I just like we're in the fog now. I wish I knew it was going to be happening a year from now so I'd know what to do. And, you know, and that's, that's, again, that's how a lot of people uh, feel. And, you know, that's yeah. where real leadership comes out of recognizing that probably nobody really knows what's going to happen. One of the things yeah. I loved about what you just, what you just said is you made it sound super easy. It's like, yeah. um, you know, we don't have to create uh, this program that's going to last for the next 50 years at our church. Mm -hmm. We simply just need to listen, see how our lives are already on mission with God, and then try something. And, yeah. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, just stop doing it and try something yeah. else. I, I mean, that sounds, yeah. um, it's almost, uh, it sounds obvious in some way, but it's not right. right. And there's so many pastors, right. how, how freeing would it be? Just, yeah. it, it makes uh, the ministry a lot more fun in a way too, because it's more of an adventure. Yeah. And then you're actually, um, the, this is yeah. not a pastor driven initiative either. The way I'm hearing this, this is right. emerging organically, essentially. Right. right. Now it's great to have the pastor support, yeah. right? It, yeah. It's important because uh, if the pastor gets in the way <laughs> of what God wants to do, that's a bad thing. Yeah. But, right. um, but yeah, but it's God works through the people of God and the yeah. pastors listen in my theology, the pastors are one of the people of God, right? Yes. We have a particular gift. And so this is how we serve among the people of God. Uh, but we're not more spiritual. We're not more holy, right? We um, we use our gifts in the way that we are called to use them, and we let the rest of God's people use their gifts as well. And so, yeah, um, there's another thought I had, but I but I but I, I kind of lost it. But it was uh, anyway. Uh, oh oh, it's a con the control thing, right? It's it's a matter of letting go of control too, yes, as a pastor, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that's hard to do. I would much rather be in control of what happens in my church. <laughs> but uh, I, I think sometimes we have to let go and, um, you know, and let God be in control and uh, maybe let God surprise us with some of the things that God wants to do. Um, so, yeah. Well, no, that was, that, to me, that was one of the great lessons of everybody from uh, everything that happened in, in 2020. And then even what we're feeling now is, uh, this summer of 2021, the states are starting to open back up, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. People have still a lot of folks are unemployed and it's just, there's a lot of um, uncertainty. And one of the things that's just reminded me of is um, it's always uncertain. We just pretend like it's not, right. and we kind of yeah. hold on to control. And so to me, that was one of my big lessons is um, realizing that my life is uncertain. It's like, well, that's like a fish being in the water, realizing it's in the water. And, and it's like, yeah. at some level that it's scary to realize how much uncertainty is, but at the same time, it's, I think it's scarier to, to think that, wow, I really know what's happening. Cause I don't, I probably never right. really have. And so right. that's one of my lessons. I mean, just listening to you speak, what are, what were some of your other kind of takeaways from writing your book? You can go back to the dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. or even from 2020, what, what were some lessons that you've learned? Um, that, you, that would be helpful for, you know, people that are listening that are in ministry, or maybe they even want to begin one of these vocational connection groups. What are, what are some lessons that you've been able to draw? Hmm. Well, I think, uh, I think one of the big ones for me is uh, uh, success in the way that we tend to define success, you know, bigger, better, more um, is definitely not <laughs> what it's cracked up to be and definitely not a worthy pursuit. Um, that's what I was pursuing right yeah, prior to yeah. that dark night um, that I experienced. Um, but uh, I just don't think that uh, that pursuing success in that in that way is going to lead us to 
uh, what God is calling us to do in the world it is going to lead to greater healing and wholeness to the, for the world. It might make us look good, but that's, I don't think God is particularly interested in us looking good. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's another lesson I learned is in some ways that whole experience kind of broke my ego. Um, I, I still have an ego. Uh, everybody does, but, um, but all of a sudden I, I felt like, because people in our Presbyterian knew what was happening to me or, or maybe after the fact found out what, what, what had happened and, and I had gotten voted out of the church. Everybody knew that. Right. And so I felt like a failure and I, and it was embarrassing. And yet that feeling clarified for me. Yeah, but that's not what's important, right? What matters. And this is maybe the greatest lesson for me is ultimately the only thing that matters about me is that I'm God's beloved, right? No matter what I do, whether I'm a pastor, whether I, you know, after I served as a pastor, I worked in a nonprofit for a couple of years, which is a great escape from being a pastor for me at that time. I needed, that was a gift from God, but whether I'm doing that or whether I'm in a big church or a small church right now, the church I'm serving, uh, we had 20 people last Sunday, you know, it's a tiny little church in rural uh, agricultural Imperial County, Southern California, between San Diego and Arizona. And um, uh, there was a time when I would have been embarrassed to be the pastor of a tiny little church like that. And now um, I just, I'm just glad, you know, hey, that's where God called me to, to, to serve. And I'm going to be the best pastor I can be, be the best, um, you know, shepherd for, for this flock um, that I can be. Um, and size doesn't matter. That's what Yoda said, right? <laughs> Judge me by my size, do you? Anyway, sorry, a little <laughs> Star Wars fandom. Oh, we love in. Star Wars here. <laughs> but anyway, right? But um, I'm God's beloved. Yes. I'm God's beloved, right? That's the That was the most important lesson that I think I learned. And I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says, when you discover yourself to be God's beloved, and I'm paraphrasing here, you just want everybody else to know that they also are God's beloved. And I, anyway, I've, I found that to be true. No, that's good. And I, I, again, uh, uh, those who listen to the podcast know I have my own story. Of, and at some level, you know, it took a divorce um, and then to, to actually have a similar experience to what you have. And that's, I mean, it's on these other episodes. So in, in my mission, basically, I mean, I called this whole thing as deep dive spirituality conversations. Yeah. I literally, I mean, you almost gave the mission statement. I haven't said it exactly. Like mm. you said, my whole goal now is to help other people to do exactly what you just said, experience the the fact that they're the beloved of god and yeah. that i mean and that we live in an abundant world and you can't exhaust god's love and there's enough for yeah. everybody and we yeah. just need to live that and help people to experience yeah. that as a way that um uh, again to manifest the kingdom essentially so that's yes. um, i'm really so i loved what i love really loved what you said yeah. um let me just ask you um one more big question then we'll do the mm -hmm. the kind of close out question this has been a sure. great conversation i really appreciate the transparency oh, too because um yeah, anybody that's been in ministry is going to run into some kind of um, defining moment. Um, yeah. And, you know, and you've heard plenty of, um, I mean, I don't, your, your story is almost a horror story. I don't I mean, that's probably the wrong phrase, but you, you hear these terrible stories of things that happened to pastors. I've heard, well, you've heard a lot. I mean, we don't have to sure. even yeah, list yeah, the whole right, thing. And so right. there's pastors <laughs> listening here that have been through that. They're worried about it. They get in, you know, you get um, in the Methodist system, you get appointed and there's people that get in these really toxic churches. Mm. Um, I mean, so it, it um, it, it's super painful, but the, the good news hearing your story is um, uh, 
you know, you can let something crush you or you can essentially surrender. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's astonishing what God's grace can do, even in those darkest moments. Again, it doesn't yeah. feel like that in that dark night yeah. part, yeah. but you're changed forever. And then essentially, like I hear you said, I love, um, I mean, you're free, right? Um, yeah. And you're free to go serve and, you know, and like, um, you know, you do online stuff. And I always just, uh, I, I, I tell folks that I work with, uh, you know, like when pastors were worried about uh, preaching online, like, well, is anybody listening? I'm like, well, who cares? It's like, why don't you just preach for the yep. one person that listens all the way to the end and you yep. show up, um, do what yep. God's called you to do. And, yep. and then and if, and, and I think this purification that you've talked about and this experience, it's like, yeah, you really do hope people will listen, yeah. but yeah. You, we have zero control over that. Yeah, right? right. So we're, we're right. here to the, even like right now, whoever's listening yeah. right now, we're here for you to, you're listening right. all the way to That's the end right. of this episode. Right. So. <laughs> can, can I interject? I, it yeah, just please. reminded me if, just this past Sunday, third row, 20 people, one, there was a guy who clearly fell asleep and was snoring during my sermon. <laughs> and I was like, it was a little distracting, but I'm like, well, <laughs> it keeps, keeps my ego in check. Right. <laughs> not, not for him today. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's okay. No, no that's good. Um, well, j- just say something about, um, um, you know, you have a free download on your website, marcuswatson.com, I think about um, marks of, I think of a healthy church. Can you just say a couple of things about that? So maybe somebody would reach out and look for that information from you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I created a um, kind of an online course, 45 minutes, three sections. It's um, called, uh, well, uh, the the one I'm mentioning, I'm not sure if it's the one you were referring to. It's a, it's a course called leading your church through change. And it's mm-hmm. actually kind of a, a, part of this vocational uh, connection groups process. Um, it focuses on action reflection. And so if you want a kind of a quick, um, quick look, uh, quick in 45 minutes, you know, I, hopefully it's not too quick, <laughs> but enough of, a, of an introduction to um, the process that vocational connection groups uses, which is action reflection as a way of discerning God's will. Um, I would encourage you to check that out. You can go to marcuswatson.com slash lead change one word lead change and um and that'll give you a little uh, sign up form it'll give you a password to access the course for free so uh, no charge for that um you will get my newsletter after that <laughs> so anyway there's all uh, kinds of good stuff there though so. yeah, yeah yeah i try to send out some really great resources every every month um and and what as well as uh you know just kind of announcing my podcast every couple of weeks or so so yeah so what does a um a typical day look like for you in terms of your grounding mm. kind of formational practices that allow you to be the best version of Marcus Watson? Yeah. Um, you know, um, uh, Pete Scazzaro talks about a rule of life in emotionally healthy spirituality, and that really helped me kind of put together a, a healthy framework, uh, I think, to, to help me stay grounded. And in, in a way, the most important thing for me is in the morning, uh, doing some Lectio Divina um, scripture reading. Um, and by Lectio Divina, um, you know, you and your listeners, I'm sure know, right, it's rather than reading for content and for information, I used to read it, try to read a chapter a day. Now I just do two or three or four, maybe five verses, and just sit with those verses for uh, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes and, and I try to see myself in them and try to hear what God might be saying. I don't try to exegete, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that, especially if I already know the context, <clears throat> but, um, 
just just sitting with that and letting um uh, just interacting with the scriptures and and just being honest oh i i don't like this particular verse or it makes me uncomfortable or uh or it makes me feel bad or guilty but lord what do you really want to say to me and, and just really kind of being in touch with god through that and you know and and i will say that uh sometimes um you know, I have three kids and sometimes it's hard during the summer, especially in a year of online school, <laughs> it's hard to get some quiet time for like you, Davina. And so sometimes what I'll do, there's a, a fantastic app called um, Pray As You Go and uh, just uh, 12 minutes of contemplative reflection on a passage of scripture. And uh, it's, uh, and so sometimes I'll do that in the morning um, just as a way of, uh, reflecting yeah and and then um you know I, I try to do um i don't do it every day but 15 minutes of silence at some point during the day um and uh and then at the end um kind of a, a prayer of examine just thinking back through the day um and where did i see god where did i experience god and then the other thing you know what um rule of life isn't just so-called spiritual practices it's all kinds of practices and and yes. i'll tell you what one of the things i committed to in terms of relationships was calling my parents every week that's part of my spiritual rule of life now right just staying in touch with my parents as they get older and that's been a gift to them and it's been a gift to me and it reminds me you know that uh that it's not all about me right and it's good and, and it's a gift to me too anyway so those are so those, those are some of the things that that i do yeah no that's good and thanks for the reminder even about the parents i mean i guess i yeah. you know it's it's i i do that too and i uh and and you know i always encourage even in rule of life uh, sleep is part of your rule of life yeah. and you diet and all those things so i just yes. love the reminder again that um it's not just thinking about all the spiritual stuff you should be doing but it's right. actually finding things that actually fuel your soul right. so that you can be there so thanks for sharing that yeah. and i mean you've mentioned a lot of authors so uh, but if, mm -hmm. if you're going to pick you know two or three books outside of scripture because i mean sure. we know that yeah. you're reading the scriptures that that have really helped you spiritually what 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 yeah. would your list be yeah so so i mentioned uh, life of the beloved by henry Nouwen. that's a great one yeah it is um and then i would add from henry Nouwen uh, the return of the prodigal son um yeah, just I I read that one. I I read that one when I was in seminary and you know so young in my twenties, and I thought, oh yeah, very nice, good good spiritual book. And then I reread it while I was in the middle of this experience, and I was like, oh now I understand, and it fed my soul in a way that I I really needed oh, at yeah, that time. Yeah. Um, and then I mentioned uh, uh, Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. Uh, that's a great one. Um, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality by uh, Pete Scazzaro. Another one that was really great was um, "Surrender to Love" by David Benner. Yeah, um, yeah. that's uh, that was really uh, helpful and meaningful. And then you know what? Um, I'll add some uh, uh, another uh, great book that this is not a Christian book. It's more just a leadership book. It's called "Leadership on the Line." And it's about leading through adaptive change, which a lot of leadership is. And there's sort of a a surrender aspect to that as well. Um, um, you know, it talks about when you're leading change, um, people don't resist change, they resist loss when, when you face resistance, right? And so if you've yeah, experienced yeah. your own loss in life and you you have to lead change uh, in your church or organization or family or whatever it might be, and you can recognize, oh, they're not pushing you back against the change. They're pushing back against this ex this feeling of loss that they're experiencing, right? And there's some compassion in that. So anyway, uh, it's a great just sort of uh, leadership uh, leadership 
book by um uh Heifetz. Uh Heifetz, yeah. Heifetz, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um anyway, uh blanking on his first name now. <laughs> Ronald Heifetz. That's it, Ronald yeah. Heifetz. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 You know, that was a great reminder right there. That's a whole nother, uh, we'll have to put that one as a can of worms thing, but I love that whole idea about yeah. leadership being about um, recognizing loss um, and not mm -hmm. just the, the change. And so you, and that is uh, that's such a good word for today too. Mm -hmm. So, well, tell us some, um, I mean, we've mentioned your website, marcuswatson.com. Um, yeah. Where else can people uh, connect with you? Or maybe that is the right place to go mm -hmm. and uh, talk about, you know, maybe a little bit about your coaching and some other ways yeah. that you may be able to serve our audience. Yeah. Well, uh, so I've got a podcast I started almost three years ago uh, called um, Spiritual Life and Leadership. And um, you and I connected because we both kind of noticed, oh, we kind of enjoy the same kinds of uh, things or, or <laughs> resonate with the same kinds of topics. And so yeah. um, uh, so if your listeners go to Spiritual Life and Leadership, they'll, they'll find probably some similar themes as uh, what you talk about here. Um, but the idea there uh, for the podcast is I want to help people um, develop a healthy inner life of union with Jesus so that they can lead in a healthy way in their outer life. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and exciting. Uh, I just uh, partnered with Fuller Seminary's uh, new church leadership Institute back in March. And so, um, uh, so that's been a really great partnership and uh, have been able to talk to some uh, great folks uh, because of that. So, um, and so, you know, so, I'll plug the Church Leadership Institute too. Um, no, please Dupree.org yeah. slash church. If you go to Dupree, D-E-P-R-E-E dot -E, uh, org slash church, there's all kinds of great uh, church leadership um, resources there as well. Um, and then uh, if you want to uh, check out my book, um, it's available on Amazon. Uh, just search for Beyond Thingification. You can find it at my website too, uh, marcuswatson.com. That's great. And we'll I'll put links to all these things and just the, the Dupree.org. Um, we just, I mean, a couple episodes and uh, we had Todd Bolsinger on who I knew yeah, you know really right. well. So um, my right. listeners may have listened to that one. That's the connecting there. So that's a really great yeah. uh, connection. Again, I just want to thank you, uh, Marcus, for your, answering God's call in your life. Um, again, hearing your story makes, you know, just as a pastor, a seminary president, it makes me sad when you just hear, you know, especially false allegations. That's just so painful, but I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, I literally did have a happy ending to this whole, to the whole story and that that's allowed you to grow in your capacity to yeah. serve other people. And most importantly, to experience God's love in your own life. So thank you for being my guest today. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Brian. I, I really, yeah, I have enjoyed this conversation and I love the work that you're doing. So thanks for doing that. Well, thank you. And everybody who's listening here all the way to the end, uh, thank you so much. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm so grateful to have you as a listener. And if you found this episode particularly helpful, would you take a couple minutes and share it with friends through your social media networks? And if you could also please leave a review, especially on iTunes, as that will help other people to find this podcast. I have links to all of the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And I also want to highlight www.centeringprayerbook.com. That will get, is a link to give you some resources and allow you to sign up for updates for the release of my book will be out in September 2021, Centering Prayer, How Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Again, until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others.